fucking in Daredevil, there's a whole Vincent D'Onofrio gives a giant monologue about how nobody cares about crime because everyone's too obsessed with internet cat videos. It's fucking amazing. (laughs) Their entire internet is full of celebrity weddings, and there's like this long pause and cat videos. Vincent D'Onofrio as Orson Welles as the Kingpin might be my favorite thing in that show. I'm picturing Orson Welles as you're describing this. I'm not picturing Vincent D'Onofrio. I know. I'm picturing, like, in late Wells. Like, yeah, late Wells. Like, yeah. Wells. Yeah. Like, he's Big Wells. about 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. And... If, if, like, this renaissance of superhero movies had happened in, like... like the 70s. The, yeah. yeah. Or, like, if it happened in the 70s, then it would have been... Uh, it would have been Orson Welles if it had happened in like the you know late eighties, early nineties. It would have been fucking Marlon Brando. Oh, that's and true. Both of those would have been amazing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Orson Welles would have been the original <laughs> Kingpin, and then Brando would have been in, would have been the remake Kingpin. Yeah, <laughs> the inevitable reboot. Cat videos. <laughs> um, cat videos. <laughs> Celebrity weddings. And cat videos. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Daily Screening Podcast. My name, as always, is Daily, uh, and this is one of those rare occurrences where uh, I don't have my usual partner in crime here. Uh, Bart, Bart's out of town this week uh, and next week, actually. Uh, but instead, I am joined with an all-star cast, uh, my lovely wife, Jamie. Hello. Hello. Uh, and returning again this week, Mr. Jeff Schwartz. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Daily. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so this week we're talking uh, Goldfinger. Uh, we we took we took a little look at the uh, you know the current offerings at the box office. Um, we were last week we were all jazzed about Ex Machina. Oh, I know, I'm uh, so sad it didn't come out. Why? Why not? I, like, you know, Boston's one of those places where you know we tend to get the the limited release stuff. We tend to get like a week or two later. Like we never get it the first week. We get it like the second or third week when they expand from like fifty theaters to like you know a hundred theaters. I never. You know? told you this though that I, I found out i believe it was monday night it was playing at emerson oh like was it really a special screening at the paramount oh. and i was teaching so i couldn't have oh, i couldn't have awful. gone but i was like oh that would have been good timing yeah um so next so week maybe yeah so but it, it does it does gonna hit town next week so hopefully we'll get uh ex machina in next week um so instead we decided we'd go with something a little older a little more classic um and Jamie and I have, for the last, you know, off and on for the last handful of weeks, uh, been making our way through the James Bond movies. Um, Jamie was kind enough to, I said, you know, well, you should watch some of these. And you said, well, I'll watch them if you make a themed cocktail for each drink, uh, for each movie. Because the first time I saw any Bond movie was Casino Royale with my brother, and he made us Vespers, and I decided that's a nice way to watch things. I agree. I think all movies should have yep. their own a themed, themed cocktail. cocktail, right? That's yeah, the best. Absolutely. It's the best way to watch any movie, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, or TV show, for that matter. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, we did uh, uh, Goldfinger. We were up to Goldfinger today. Um, should, actually, what, let me see if we can remember. What did we... So, we did Dr. No and Pina Coladas, because mm-hmm. they're down in the Caribbean. Yep. Um, and I thought they were in Puerto Rico, but they're actually in Jamaica. Yep. Um and then uh, we did uh, From Russia with Love, and we did Moscow, Moscow Mules. Mules. And yeah. uh, 
and now Goldfinger is number three. Um, and so, you know, seem trying to find the appropriate beverage and to try and mix up our alcohol options. Uh, I thought, okay, well, the the finale takes place in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, so maybe something whiskey bourbon fueled seemed appropriate. And so we did uh, some whiskey sours. Shall we toast? Indeed, indeed, we have some whiskey sours right now. So chin 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 indeed, uh, whiskey sours. I, so we should have done whiskey smashes because then they could have been whiskey smirches, mm. right? Smirches. Right? No. That would have been good, right? That would have been fucking good. I know, but you were more about the the, yes. the sour. This is the only whiskey drink I will drink. Yeah, Jamie mm. has a very particular palate when it comes to whiskey. She's not really one for the smoky beverages, so. Uh... Yeah, if you want to get all fancy about it, I just think whiskey's <laughs> disgusting. Well, yeah, but that's what it's the smokiness that you that you don't really no, like, right? No, it's the general flavor and smell. Okay, well, that's, there you go. Um, I like me a good mezcal, and that's smoky as hell. That's true. That is true. Okay, I'll give you that one. Um, well, uh, so since this has been, like, Jamie had really never seen any of the Bond movies. That's sort except of what... Casino Royale. Right, except for Casino Royale. So that's sort of what fueled this. So, um, you know, let's get, Jamie, your, your general reaction as a first-time viewer. Uh, in other words, what I'm asking you is, uh, how many times did you want to kick James Bond in the dick in this movie? How many seconds is this movie? <laughs> um, two hours. Yeah, so about, about two yeah. hours. Twenty minutes so times hundred, sixty. So yeah. <laughs> so a all lot. Of, all all thousands, of those times. All of those times. All of those times. All right. Good. Good. Good to know. So is Connery doing just nothing for you, or is it nothing like? Nothing at all. Is it, is it the character on the page? Is it Connery? Like it's both, because the character on the page is god awful and sexist, and in this movie, I maintain completely and totally useless. You're not wrong about that. I and think. then Connery, on top of it, makes it worse because I unfortunately have the knowledge that Connery is one of those dudes who like to come up and say shit like, you know, if a woman is like not, you know, if she's doing something you don't like, just give her a little slap. Like that's real life Connery. Yeah. So it makes it worse. It's fair. So, so you can't differentiate the you can't separate the dude from the character. Well, but it, it doesn't it, matter. With, with Even Connery. if I did separate the yeah, dude, no, that's Even true. if it was like the nicest dude in the world, it's still the worst character in the world. Well, no, I, yeah, so. okay. that's fair. I guess what I was gonna mean like the the person from the performance, though. Because I mean, it's the thing. What the performance? Well, that's the thing. I this mean, is men talk. Say goodbye. Yeah. Okay. I knew that was. I forgot that was a moment that uh. happened very, very early on. Like literally in the like the first scene after the titles, basically. Um, Bond is relaxing by the pool. He's getting a getting a back massage from a foxy lady, and uh, Felix Leiter walks over, and they gotta they gotta talk some shop. So he says man talk and he slaps her on her ass as she walks away uh i thought your head was going to explode in that moment yep uh i'm impressed it did not i'm, I'm happy you're still here to talk yeah. about this i don't know that i am i know um but we, we got to talk about before we do that we got to talk about um well jeff what is you, what is your sort of history with with james bond um well i've been watching it for a long time since an adolescent i mean my it was you know all those marathons during thanksgiving and christmas <laughs> yep. and new years you know it would always be on in the background 13 days of 007 on oh, tvs oh, oh, yeah stalwart taken right back. Yeah. yeah so yeah my family liked it and weirdly enough my my grandparents loved it and i think it's because they were they were young in the like 50s a little more and 60s, contemporary yeah so it was like probably a movie they went to on date nights and stuff so i i feel like they then they always loved connery they kind of had no patience for any bond post After Connery post Connery they kind of liked Pierce Brosnan but mm. even then they were yeah. they were always stalwart Con Connery fans 
so anyway, it was kind of like a family thing to watch, and you know, we would like talk during it, and it was not like yeah, yeah, it wasn't everyone sitting rapt attention. I was always that was always the uh, one movie series where I was okay with people talking during it because yeah, I, you know, when you I would can watch kind of float in and out of these movies, yeah, yeah, because otherwise they would talk during other movies when I'm like I need to watch, we need to pay <laughs> attention, guys, and I would get really indignant about it. Yeah, no, I'm and, the same way. And so anyway, so yeah, I mean, I've seen probably seen most of them there's a few roger moore's i haven't seen and there's several like license to kill which i haven't seen since i was in yeah elementary you school. saw it at some point but so long ago like that a, it doesn't matter anymore. like a sleepover movie or yeah something. exactly so so you know so yeah i'm i'm fairly familiar and um yeah i mean i, I like do you do you have a favorite of the bonds a favorite like uh, uh, actor favorite actor, favorite bond yeah. oh I don't know. I mean, I I respect Connery because I think really having read like From Russia with Love, the book, mm-hmm. I, I really think that Connery comes as close to any of the actors sure. um, at capturing what Ian Fleming wrote. Right. Um, so so that's good. I mean, I obviously I respect Daniel Craig. You know, I, I'm a little bit over the dark and brooding reboot, mm-hmm. you know, as applied to superheroes and other characters. Right. Um, the, but dark, Craig, the dark knighting of James Bond. The dark knighting of J- that's very well put. Yeah. Yes. So, but I, I mean, Daniel Craig has uh, you know tons of charisma and is, is such presence. You know, yeah. Especially, um, I mean, there's some really great scenes of you know him like doing legitimate acting mm-hmm. in, in Casino Royale. Like you know, I think there's there's a bit more psychology to the character in the later um, in the later films. So I, I respect. Yeah, I think as they've well. given. Uh, I agree. I think they've given Craig a much richer character to play, mm-hmm. and they um, tried to do that in Goldeneye. Like, yeah. Um, oh, totally. With with Brosnan, and he, you know, did what he could yeah. with what he was given, mostly up to the task. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I the Bond growing up, you know, was Goldeneye. Yeah. Because I came of age during the Brosnan kind of reboot. Oh sure. So, yeah. And, we were at the and, prime sort of uh, moment yes, for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course playing Goldeneye the. Nintendo 64 game. Absolutely. So, so that, which I was always terrible at. I was awful at it. I was so bad. That was the moment. Goldeneye, like, I always, always etched in my mind. Uh, and I, it's, it, there's a couple years in between, but I always think of Goldeneye and uh, Halo, sort of uh, mm. hand in hand, as the moment where I gave up on video games because I was always. I, my favorite games. Uh, were always first-person shooter games. Yeah, first-person shooter games and uh, and like race games or, or car games. Where you have yeah. like Mario Kart. Is, oh, that's, of a, that's a classic. Yeah. Uh, twist the twisted metal games where you just like drove mm-hmm. around and shot missiles at other cars and yes, stuff. Like I love that shit. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but Double O Seven, Goldeneye, and Halo are sort of the moment where I had to give up on first-person shooters mm. because. You had to control. You had to aim the gun independent no, of I your could, movement. I could never do that with Halo. Yeah, I could never wrap my head around that yeah. of like moving the guy through the map with my mm-hmm. left hand, with my left finger, but then like controlling, aiming the gun with my right. I, I mm-hmm. just could never get the hold of that. So I would just be, I would be in that like classic Doom, uh-huh. uh, yeah, like Doom, Unreal like mode, where it's yeah. like you walk and the gun is always pointed directly in front of you, so mm-hmm. you have to walk in. To yeah. a place where you can aim, mm-hmm. and I would always just get the shit kicked out of me because everybody else was so good at that, and I just I'm glad to hear that because I always felt like the odd person out because everyone yeah. else seemed very good at it. Like my sister was like way better than me, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, I never I never could do it. Yeah, no, so. I had friends, a bunch of my friends who were all who were way those. I mean, the other thing mm-hmm. is I don't I never had an N64, so I had a Super Nintendo, 
and I kind of stopped at Super Nintendo. Yeah. Um, and my brother had a PlayStation, but we didn't really have we didn't really have the N sixty four, so mm-hmm. we and skipped I, that generation. There. I didn't, but my my best friend at the time did. I was a yeah. PlayStation oh no, guy, I had a bunch so. of friends who had an N sixty four, so they yeah they were all about Goldeneye, and I was yeah. just so bad at it mm-hmm. always. So yeah, but I enjoyed Goldeneye because it was a game that was born of a love of the series. Like oh totally play with yeah, the Golden Gun yeah. Could, I mean there were all kinds of illusions, and mm-hmm. I you know. This, aside from Star Trek, it was probably the first series I ever watched, you know? Oh, sure. I mean, in, I guess Star Wars, but... Um, so I but kind Star of, Wars was a trilogy, basically. Yeah, it was a trilogy. Like, didn't have the so, depth when we were that age. Yeah, and yeah. so Bond was always like, you know, if it, if it was a sleepover, it was always like, oh, well, what James Bond movie haven't we seen? You know, oh, sure. So let's, let's go to Blockbuster. Find see, a Bond movie. See what they have. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's checked out, you oh, know? Oh, my God. That and, is a Blockbuster. And, uh, and one of these days, we're going to ex- we're gonna have to explain to our kids how we... <laughs> well, you'd go to this... You'd get in your car, you'd drive to this building, and then you'd walk up and down these shelves, and you would see what... What movies were on the shelf and you know the the case may have been on the shelf but they mm. didn't actually have the movie because right. they didn't keep the movies on the shelf and if you wanted a new movie you best get there early on friday exactly because they'd, the be they'd all be gone and and then you had you would have it and you would take it home and you would have it for like two days mm-hmm. and then you had to bring it back to that place yep. you'd get back in your car and drive over there or otherwise you'd owe them more money mm-hmm. and god help you if you didn't rewind it no, uh, yes. Wait, let me, yeah, uh, yes. Now let me explain what rewinding is. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, fair point. Yeah. So, oh, anyway, so that's my relationship with okay. the James Bond series. So I, you know, always an enjoyment, always sort of like cinematic comfort food. You sure. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never. You yeah, exactly. Know. I can always, if there's a Bond movie on, I can always watch a Bond movie. Mm. You don't have to invest a lot in it. You can, no. you know, it's one of the, you know, I can watch this for a while and get up and do something else, make a sandwich, mm-hmm. fucking do my laundry, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of the same way. Um, I watched I've watched a lot of them, but I think I'm the, by far the vast majority of them I watched on cable TV. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, God knows what I've even like missed out on or don't remember. Um, I don't know if you've missed out on much, and that well, that's a great. Uh, I always like to to bone up on my Roger Ebert before we watch a movie that is that has been reviewed by him. Oh, and, sure. And the way that he wrote about the, the like the sex scenes, for example, in James Bond movies, it's always mm-hmm. prelude and and post. Yeah, absolutely. It's always like a you know a deep focused kiss, and then they're smoking cigarettes afterward. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I like in terms of that kind of a content, you know, I don't think you're missing anything on cable. Like I'm sure it's all there. That's and the true. Violence is not that. Extreme, and I was going to say, and so. that's one of the things that really jumped out at me in this movie is. Just just how incredibly bloodless all the violence is. Yeah. And part yeah. of this is, uh, you know, it's the 60s. Like, that's just... We're years away from Conventions of the time. And, and yeah. all the sort of... The, the 60s filmmakers who will revolutionize violence. Oh, film. absolutely. But it's like, I mean, you try to compare... Like, if you're like, oh, if they had done this movie today, like, how would this sequence play out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, you've got Oddjob, who his hat can take the head off of a stone <laughs> statue, but then when he you know, hits uh, Tilly Masters with yeah. it, it just sort of, like, bangs up against the side of yeah, her head, like breaks she her falls over. Yeah, exactly. And she's there, and there's there's no wound, there's mm-hmm. no blood. She's just sort of, like, lying in the grass, like, well, I guess mm-hmm. she's dead. Uh, and then the same thing with, uh, you know, we'll skip all the way to the end, but, like, Goldfinger mm-hmm. going out the window <laughs> of the plane. Like, if you did that scene today, he would not have gone out feet first. He would have gone out, like, and, like, his stomach would have been, like, pulled backwards mm-hmm. out of thing. It would have been like that... The scene in the end of uh, Alien Resurrection, when the alien gets sucked out of uh-huh. the weird, like, alien-human hybrid white thing, gets, like, sucked out of the airlock, and it's literally, it's, like, a hole forms in its chest, and all of the organs get, like, slopped out so through the, through into space. Okay, that's an interesting 
point or, or question though because you know it's it's been a little while since i've seen um skyfall mm-hmm. or uh christina royale but those are both pg-13 movies oh sure and i mean while the violence compared to goldfinger is more intense i would say it's it's still fairly bloodless like you know it's not there's not lots of you know squibs or anything and it's not i mean it's i i, I feel like it's that's, that's sort of that is carried through even though the maybe you know the intensity the like the sound effects or something right. have become more in the fight scenes have become more visceral right but it's still it's not yeah you it's don't, not tarantino it's right, not exactly it's, it's not, not the coen brothers blood. It's, yeah, yeah. No, to, you're, no you're totally right um i think the worst thing in skyfall because um, i'm just trying to think of like how various people die and yeah it's mostly just sort of like gunshots or whatever mm-hmm. and i mean you know there's the very least you see some blood you literally there's no yeah. drop no, of right. blood you're in right. this whole movie mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think the worst like most horrific thing in skyfall and i like i'm trying to tread a little lightly for uh jamie's, <laughs> jamie's who, sake for, for spoilers sake um but the the jaw thing yeah is like i mean that is fucking insane like uh-huh. that is like visually that is a horror show on a face you know i guess um, yeah but it's okay. just like a character trait like it's uh-huh. not like a it's not a you know it's it not born you don't see it happen we see yeah happen. exactly it's just yeah. sort of like oh this is a thing about me uh-huh. and you see it for like a quick second mm-hmm. well, um you can have like there's a wide gulf between you know having a bloody violent fight and the fights in this movie which i thought were absurdly awful Especially the scene down in the vault between Ajab and James Bond, where it's like, it looks like when you're trying to like fake fight a child. Like, I'll, <laughs> like I'll just sit here and pretend like we're fighting, yeah. and really not like he would have his hand around his wrist to like ostensibly be bending his wrist back and getting out of a chokehold or whatever. Except it was like you're using the lightest cotton touch imaginable. There is space between your hand and his wrist. Yeah. And then anytime he, like, throws James Bond, Connery, like, runs into it, you know? Yeah. He's, like, pretends to throw him, and Connery runs, like, six or seven steps and then falls over. And I was just like, this is so dumb. Like, in the 60s, did people actually find this thrilling? Because aside from the fact that it looks awful, there's no even, like suspenseful score or anything to sort of emotionally help you ramp up the tension there's just nothing it's just two people pretending to fight with no like training or effort whatsoever and i was yeah. just like this is awful. 60s fight choreography is you know it's it doesn't doesn't translate to today where i mean granted you know you do something like that today and you know bond you know daniel craig would be on like a wire rig and mm-hmm. would fly back in the air with like literally with a propulsive force which, and which they would digitally remove later so it's like you can which i kind of almost get sick of like i mean yeah. I, I agree with everything you just said i think the maybe one fight scene in this that is a little actually better executed which was sort of a surprise to me is the first one where he's in the hotel room and it feels very messy oh yeah and with they're the guy in the bathtub. furniture over yeah and they don't, totally they can't really get a purchase on like you know it's like an enclosed purchase. space yeah and i like that because it felt more real and and i mean real in the context well, yeah. of this movie but yeah but no, yeah, that wide open vault, bank vault at the end, and it's also like not only is it like a big wide open space, but the floor is like weirdly uneven. There's <laughs> yeah. like metal bars. Uh-huh. And it's not really solid floor, so it's a great set. Yeah, it looks awesome, but yeah. it's not probably the best for two untrained Korea like fight, mm-hmm. fighters, basically. Where yeah, Bond has to kind of like slip and slide and. I have to fall, but I have to make sure I don't trip over this little jagged piece of metal thing. I don't know if we 
if we want to say though that like 60s choreography doesn't hold up because let's let's maybe think of you know one of my favorite movies uh seven samurai sure which okay we're dealing with samurai we're dealing with swords swords yeah but kurosawa can choreograph an action sequence that arguably still holds up you oh, know totally. so i think I think it's these yeah. movies. But that's it's why not, I bring it up because yeah. it's like there's no excuse for this. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I feel like you could, I mean, you could still collapse the distance. You yeah. could like make it look like someone's landing a punch when they aren't. Whereas like this was just, there's no excuse yeah. for any of well, this. Yeah, well I think, and I think it's That's why of... I'm wondering, I wish I knew like someone who watched this when it first came out to see how they thought about yeah. it. I'm like, you can't have thought that was cool. You I... can't have thought that looked awesome and threatening or suspenseful at all. Yeah, well I think it suffers from two things uh, sort of you know partially from the modern perspective i guess but so yeah you're right it's you know bond gets hit and he's like running he's like running throwing himself backwards whatever it reminds me of uh like original series star trek where Mm, you know the bridge would get hit by a photon torpedo (laughs) yeah they would all just like throw themselves over to the other side and actually there's a great story about that where you know they were all used to having done this on the show for so long that you know they would someone would yell all right like you know impact and then everyone would throw themselves to the left you know mm-hmm. um and then when they cut to later when they were doing the movies where they had you know like a budget and shit they, the stage would be on a gimbal and mm-hmm. they would yell impact and like out of habit they would all like throw themselves to the left <laughs> oh, but also man. the stage the gimbal, would tilt yeah, yeah. so now they go flying <laughs> literally them were, like flying into a bulkhead at one point and like bang their head we almost lost shatner to a gimbal <laughs> i know <laughs> ridiculous um but uh yeah so like i think there's part of that is yeah it's just it's it's awkward choreography but the other thing is yeah you're right they're not doing anything like cinematically with it in the for the most part and you look at it again like by today's standards where people sort of they, they try to visually present the fight in an interesting way i mean you know we've all can complain about you know close cutting you know close close up Furious fast cutting seven. you know <laughs> shaky cam stuff yeah, yeah exactly um, but I mean, that's at least a cinematic attempt to make a fight feel more visceral and we're all burnt out on it and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect us in any, in that way anymore. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone was really trying to do that kind of stuff no. at the time. And uh, though, I mean, on so the you're other... right. It, it all falls on the choreography. If you don't have like a plus choreography, then yeah, it just looks like a bunch of guys like swinging and falling. Yeah. Though I'm sort of tired of every hero in an action movie being a professional martial bleh, martial artist <laughs> yes no sure and and having all the moves so i feel like we yeah. there's there's who g- taught you judo <laughs> no pussy galore did. pussy galore exactly i actually but who taught her how does a lady know judo <laughs> I actually love that because this is a movie where you see that happen a lot, and it's the old the Austin Powers bit where every time he gets in a fight, judo chop, judo <laughs> chop, and then, like that happens a bunch. Like, it happens at the very beginning. Odd job does it to him at the very beginning when he's yeah. going for the champagne. Uh, but yeah, it happens a bunch. They just like judo chop to the neck, mm. and you're like, yeah. I guess. I also like that the judo she knows is grabbing his ankles and pulling them <laughs> whilst he's standing. Um, no, but going back to that, yeah, no, I go. feel like because. And this is part of why I'm so angry about this. Because you lied to me and said I would like her. Which makes me think <laughs> which makes me think you don't know me at all. You were like, oh, you're going to really love the next one. You're like, you're not going to like her name, but you're going to like her. She's awesome. She's no. awesome. No. <laughs> she isn't. Because here's the thing. There are two parts to this. Okay. One is that she's not awesome in her own right at all. Because she changes allegiance like 18 times. 
She has, like, no goals of her own. If she continued to be evil so that she could get her island in the Bahamas, I would be more on board with her, because at least I would respect her. That's fair. I don't buy the change at the end, either. She changes to Bondside for no reason. Yeah. Because no, you, well, you said it during the movie. It's we know the reason. It's because of his <laughs> magical penis. Yes. But it's awful because he's kissing her like crazy. She is fighting him tooth and nail. Who wants to kiss a person who is, like, clawing their face off to get out from under them? Apparently James Bond, first of all. And second of all, it's just that awful, like, oh, all she really needs is to get laid, or all she really, like, she's just, you know, a stick in the mud until the right guy comes along. But it's like, oh, we have kissed once, now I will do whatever you want. And then later, though, when Goldfinger's on the plane, and he, and she, he, James Bond's like, oh, where's pussy? Oh, she's where she should be, at the controls. So I'm like, wait, have you switched back now? Have you switched allegiances back? Like, a man comes up to you and is like, hey, do what I say. Okay. I don't... Like, I don't understand what is happening I don't here. think that's the case. I think this is probably a case of, like, poor editing or poor presentation, basically. Like, I don't think it's that she, you know, she informs Washington and swaps out the canisters and then goes back to Goldfinger's side. I think it's, like, you could think of it as, like, a deleted scene where... You know, Goldfinger escapes from Fort Knox and goes back to the airfield where she is, and it's like he doesn't necessarily he doesn't know she sold them out. You know, like from Goldfinger's no, perspective, because he says I'll deal with her later. But for right now, she's where she should be at the control, so he knows. Uh, I guess that is true. I don't know why he knows. No, there's like the only reason we know is because Felix Leiter tells us way after the fact. So yeah. I don't know why he would know. But I was gonna say, I mean, it feels like you know he. I don't think she changes allegiances back to Goldfinger's side. I think he just forces maybe, her to fly the plane, basically. Maybe she, upon finding her in this hypothetical yeah. scene, he's like, get on the plane or I'll kill you. Yeah. Like some sort of threat. Like. Yeah, exactly. Again, I feel like a, I'm threatening you. To, I, this is the only way for me to get away is to get on the plane. You're the only pilot, so get on, you know, pilot the plane. Get I me suppose, the fuck out of here. But yeah. again, there's no, like, very little to respect there. But then it's also like, anytime she does anything remotely cool... Bond immediately undermines or belittles her. Like, she's in charge of the plane, but then when she threatens to shoot him, he's like, well, you don't know anything about guns, and proceeds to explain to her, the master pilot, I believe what he will happen, yes, he does to mansplain to her, what <laughs> will happen if, she- oh, I thought it during the movie, no. <laughs> what it would happen if a gun is fired and a hole is shot into the window of her plane? The thing she is an expert in. Okay, no, no, no. That's not that's not fair, I don't think. Because the, his point... I, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend the mansplaining, but his point isn't like, you don't know how planes and guns work. His point is like, that's a Smith & Wesson. If you shoot me at this range, the bullet's going to go through me, and then it'll tear a hole in the plane. And obviously she knows what happens if you tear a hole in the plane. But I think his point in that moment is not is about, like, that caliber of a bullet will not, like, just... I won't get shot, and then it'll be in me, and you'll be fine. It's It'll go right through me, and then shoot through the plane. No, here's what it is. This is Chekhov's gun, literally. It literally is. Because, I was thinking about that. Because this is setting up what will eventually happen, happen later. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, all the... Well, no, yeah, you need to explain it at the beginning it so it can happen at the end. But yeah. you're explaining to the audience, because yeah. then he yeah. even explains it to Goldmember again later. Goldmember, like, you <laughs> said Goldfinger, 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 damn it! I knew I was going to do it! I knew I was going to do it! That's amazing! And that's I've, a wrap, folks. I've, I've seen those movies. Those oh, movies are more wow. enjoyable. That's
That's fantastic. I, the last time I said Goldfinger, I even, like, in my head was like, say Goldfinger. Make sure you don't call it the wrong name. Great. Anyway. But no, he explains it to him again. So, no, it is definitely when he explains it the second time. It's more of an explaining to the audience kind of yeah. thing. But, again, though, she gets the better of him when he's hiding under the little thing, under the model. Yeah. And, Which and is amazing, just, by the way. And it's Ooh. just, who taught you judo? Like, it's so constantly dismissive well, yes. and constantly belittling. She never gets to really do anything. No, well, Bond is very dickish to her. I agree. He's but, dickish to every woman. No, I agree. No, no, I'm, I, I, I absolutely agree. I'm just saying, I think she... Uh, Aside he from, kills little girls like you. Shut up. I know. I know. I know. Look, but aside from her changing sides at the end, which I also I agree. I don't. I don't. I don't buy that moment. Um, be, well, it's it, just poorly set up. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like it's not. And it's not. We're not even at two hours yet. You know. Like, yeah. And the, I feel like the other movies are perhaps a bit longer. Maybe I'm completely wrong. So yeah, I feel like there's they're plenty, all pretty short. There's yeah. plenty of room for another scene there to clarify. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you because and that's the, the reason I don't buy it is because uh, up until then she is pretty much like kind of a take no shit mm-hmm. kind of woman where like he because tries because she needs to get laid. We've explained this. <laughs> no, no, but that's my exactly. But that's my point though is that be, up until then it's not like there's we see any sort of moral conflict with her before mm-hmm. that it's like well i'm you know i'm doing this thing because i do what i fucking want to and i'm immune to your charms and fuck you you know like she's just she's got her own she's got her own plan and she's on it and so yeah like you totally kind of respect her for that and she doesn't give a shit about any of giant bonds like nonsense so the fact that yeah Still, like one good dicking and she's into fine the hay and yeah forces her to be kissed oh, even though she's fighting him like crazy. no exactly no that scene is but it's also that awful, like rate. i'm gonna fight you i'm gonna fight you oh but no, oh 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 you're a good kisser oh never mind yeah I like no kissing you it Ugh. is it is a borderline rape scene uh, which, you know, apparently convinces her to completely sell out her boss and, you know. And her island in the Bahamas. Yeah. You get yours. Come exactly. on. <laughs> God. Um, so, yeah, no, aside, but up until that moment, I actually, I think she's like, she's certainly comparatively to every other woman uh, in the previous movies, I think she's like head and shoulders. No, and, but mm-hmm. see, because I think they all start out that way. That's part of what's been driving me crazy about this whole series. They all start out competent. They all start out good at what they do. They all start out with a purpose, usually one that is contrary to whatever it is Bond is doing. And then the second, like, Bond comes along, it's suddenly like, never mind, I love you. Like the woman in in Dr. No, who was, like, supposed to be against him. But then she, like, kind of falls in love with him. I don't remember. Dr. No? You don't the, the woman at the end or Slam? The train. Who's the train woman? No, that's, that's, that's Dr. Russia no? with Love. Which that's Russia, that? Russia with Love. Russia with Love. I don't even remember anymore. They all have run together in my head. But no, well, that's fair. Except that it's like, like Bond comes along and they just like can't they can't help themselves. But that's true. Uh, although I think the difference I think between Russia with Love and Goldfinger is that you know in Russia with Love you get a scene at the beginning where she uh, gets the orders from the Russian boss like you need to pretend to fall in love with the you know British spy and blah 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 blah. And so, like, everything from that point on is, like, her sort of in that shape. But you never really see her, like, playing the two sides. It's just sort of like... So it feels, like, in the movie, it just sort of feels like she meets him. And then you kind of... Everything just sort of feels genuine. Because you never see her, like, get you know, passing secrets to her mm-hmm. boss. Or, like, you know, doing something that work against him, you know? she immediately fell in love with James Bond. Exactly, you know? and honeypot. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> because that's where it ends up, there's no, like 
point, there's no discernible moment where you say, oh, that's where she turned, you I'm know? I'm trying to remember if in the book it is, she's more of a competent spy yeah. than that, because I feel like that might be the case, and that was probably smoothed over for the movie. Yeah, probably. But I think, in, like, in, so in this one, in Goldfinger, you know, Pussy is very much, like, she, I mean, she's against him, like, the whole time, and she's got her own agenda. So, at the very least, like, for most of the running time, like, I, I think she's a l- she's way more... Uh, she's way more accessible she's way more interesting of a character um than just like oh i just i love you james bond i mean that's where she eventually ends up and but it all kind of happens off screen which is what makes it really awkward yeah but the constant undermining all throughout undermines how cool she is and undermines whatever she could be doing it's like negging james bond (laughs) negging before negging was cool oh you have felled me with a sort of judo thing who taught you judo he mansplains and he negs her Uh, i can't wait what other weird pickup artist techniques Mm -hmm. he's going to use in the next movies um but i think (laughs) but i think that's also true of uh to a certain degree of uh tilly you know, Tilly's kind of got her own thing going on, too. And, yeah, and she arguably, she gets dies. killed before James Bond can win in her over with his seconds. magical penis. But, yeah, no, I agree. But I'm just saying, like, I think the women in this movie are, you know, Jill Masterson, not so much. But uh, but Tilly and, and Pussy both sort of present women who have their own agendas. They have their own things going on. Uh, you know, it doesn't – they don't maintain that, that perspective, that, that position, but – which is, I think, maybe something the series gets a little better at. Um, I'm thinking of, I'm not sure if you remember the Roger Moore movie, um, For Your Eyes Only, mm. where it's partly in Greece. Do you remember? I don't really remember, remember most of that one. one now. That one's good because it's sort of like taking the, um, is it Jill Masterson? You were just yeah, talking about? Uh, yeah, Jill's the first one who dies in the gold Okay, thing. so then Tilly. 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 Yeah. So it kind of, the Vaughn girl in that is kind of Tilly because she wants revenge on the main villain. Yeah. And she and Vaughn sort of join forces. And so it kind of works because they both have the same goal. Mm-hmm. And so there's not that kind of weird, like, yeah. he hijacks whatever goal that she has. It's like, no, they both are have, kind of yeah. doing the same thing. And they, you know, there's... And I remember, I don't know why, but I remembered the Tilly Masterson thing going on a lot longer. Like, I was surprised that she died that that soon. I don't know why, but for some reason I remember, I felt like she was there for more of the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. she really only has, like, three scenes, basically, so. And they're, but they're memorable. No, they're great scenes. The sniper rifle bit. That's a great, like, talk about, like, you know, cinematic. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a great cinematic moment where uh, you see Goldfinger, you know, parked on the curve of the mountain road and then you see bond looking at him from a higher curve in the road and then we pull out again and we see you know masterson with a sniper rifle looking at bond all the way down. so you get like all three of those it's like, and it's, it's done with a telephoto lens yeah which is so great because it kind of mimics the idea of a sniper rifle scope mm-hmm. so oh, it's a it's a gr- really think aside well from the 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 fight sequences i think it's very well directed like and there's just little small things like i noticed the the scene where, you know, it's the generic scene in any sort of spy adventure movie where the the authority figures have to explain to the hero what the stakes are and what's going on. Oh, sure, the so briefing scene, yeah. So it's the in the Bank of the bank of England people are mm-hmm. talking about gold. And it's weird, I just, because I was noticing this, the way it was shot, and I was trying to figure out why. Because it starts off a little bit close up on the, the table um, where they're all at in the yeah. very fancy room. And then it slowly zooms out, and I'm like, "This is interesting because we're they're just talking. There's no close. There's no coverage. Yeah, or they're anything. like talking about a cognac or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it keeps going out and out. And I'm like, "Why is he zooming right here? This is weird." And then I started to understand. I think that the reason that's done is the bigger uh, view we get of the um, 
of the set, and it's a very ornate set, we kind of get that, you know, oh, this is a... Um, yeah, we're not just in M's office. We're know? not just yeah. in M's office, and and this is, like, the level of, like, wealth and influence and power that we're dealing with mm-hmm. here. Totally. And it kind of it gives a... a they're sense. all in tuxes, for yeah, that matter. Yeah, they're all... Yeah, black tie. He says, come, black come for the briefing, black tie. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's like, a nice touch of sort of setting up the environment and the kind of people that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, these Bank of England people, so... I don't know. I think there's there's little nice touches like that. I think um, guy, what's his name? Guy, the, the director. Um, oh, uh, guy, guy, guy Hamilton. Hamilton, who directed a handful of Bonds. Was yeah. it, did he do the previous? Or was that uh, Terrence? I or think it? so. I'm not sure, but anyway, I mean, you know, the Bond movies are not, you know, they're not not Hitchcock level or anything. No, but no. but there are nice little touches in them, and I, I you know, I think oh, this man. one. This one definitely has uh, some of those, which I appreciate. Guy Hamilton, hell of a filmography, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Bond-wise, uh, he did not do the previous one. I didn't he, think did. he did. He starts with this one because yeah, I think uh, Doctor No and uh, From Russia with Love both have the same director. Yeah, they do. I think. Um, and then he comes in here with Goldfinger, but then he also does Diamonds Are Forever. So he yeah. goes, yeah, okay, so Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, A Man with a Golden Gun, and then he does Force 10 from Navarone, oh. uh, and then, <laughs> perhaps my favorite, Remo Williams, The Adventure <laughs> Begins, which is an unbelievable movie. Um, literally, you won't believe the things that happen in that <laughs> you movie. You believe that it's literally a movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, got, I got to talk about the golf scene. Because the golf scene is like mm-hmm. the thing that always sticks out it's for the me. The most Scottishy thing that ever Scottish. I know, right? Uh-huh. And, and part of this is because, like, for me, this is like it has a very strong connection for me with Bond because, like, the Bond movies are one of the few sets of movies that, like, like my dad showed me. You oh, know, okay. like, because my dad's not like a big movie guy, but there are like there are some movies he likes, and so there's been like very a couple of times where he's like, "Oh, you gotta watch this," whatever. So, like, Bond movies, and I don't even think he really has, like, super strong, I don't even know if he has a favorite Bond, Mm -hmm. um, or if he has, like, a movie that he really loves, but, like, I just remember watching Bond movies with my dad when I was a kid, but Mm -hmm. my dad also is a huge golfer, Mm -hmm. so, like, this is, like, watching that scene with my dad, like, Mm -hmm. that, I I have, like, a very, like, visceral, like, image of that, Um, but that scene is great. Like that scene totally translates to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like it's a perfect execution. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it's a very sort of low stakes kind of gag, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's simple and it totally works. And I fucking love that caddy. His <laughs> his caddy is like I don't know what it is. He's just really fucking funny to me. I don't know. It's a good. He's a good character actor. Yeah, he's got a great character face, and his voice he's has got, got like a weird twinge to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, but it's your honor, sir. Like mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that, that whole bit is, is, is really fun. And I kind of wish that's the kind of fun that I would like to see in like the today's Bond movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so, and I guess we could segue into this, which is, you know, what I've always said is the thing that killed the Brosnan Bond was, you know, the infatuation with the gadgets and the gags and, and the bigger and better like action sequences they yeah. every there was a it's sense like, that they that o- sounds delightful oh. <laughs> there, but there was always good? there was always a sense that they had to top themselves and it just it became silly it became, right exactly you know like we're whatever's happening in die another day yeah like the whole... the invisible car driving around in the ice hotel yes, yes exactly <laughs> um so which sounds cool when as you just say it like that invisible, i know <laughs> as opposed to invisible gas right mm-hmm. um but 
I think that, you know, especially having watched the three, this is the movie, like, very clearly where... Bond becomes Bond. Yeah, yeah. where where the gadgets, be, the goofy yeah. gadgets really take hold. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see why, how, like, that would be the thing that audiences responded to. It's like, his well, car has it, a fucking ejector seat in it, you when know? it's coming out. We're, like, early 60s, you know, the beginning of the space age. Yep, you know, absolutely. A, a infatuation with futurism and all its various forms. Totally. So of course, it's the, the gadgets. And think uh, here, think think of a movie you enjoy, Jamie. Catch Me If You Can. Remember yes. where he gets the car, and it's this car. Yes, it's yes. Awesome and he's doing Martin the voice. Yeah. And, and he's doing the voice. The he gets suits. the suits yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. So he's calling himself Ian Fleming. So yeah, it and I think this is this is the movie what I meant you know where this is where Bond becomes Bond. It's like this is the structure that pretty much every future Bond movie up into um, up until uh, uh, Dalton. Uh, well, no, I was going to say Casino Royale even. Yeah, that it follows like we've got we've That's got true. the the um, sexy time title sequence. Yep, absolutely. We've got the you know um, the cold open, which almost n- has nothing to do with the plot. That no, comes. it's totally separate. Totally in this movie, separate. Which I love. And also, like by the way, talking about like silly gags, like this movie starts with James Bond with a <laughs> duck on his head. James Bond has a yeah. fuck. He's in a wetsuit. He's underneath. He's coming out. Comes out of the water, and there's a fucking plastic duck on his head. But it looks alright. Like, yeah, the no, duck is kinda... kind of convincing. Yeah, because... I almost buy that duck. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and then we get the, the scene with M, where mm-hmm. he explains what's going on. Yep. We get the scene with Q, where he's like, here's all the fun gadgets, and yep. 007. The walkthrough of yes. the Q shop, where they're yes. just, like, testing weird shit in the background. And, and... Then, and Bond's always giving Q a hard time, and mm-hmm. Q is very serious, as Jamie pointed out. You know, very good at his job, and, and, and serious-minded. Very, very droll, yes. And I love I love that actor. Um, yeah. And then we get, you know, the the series of, you know, action sequences that lead us to the finale. So I think it's, you know, it's it's the template has been set mm-hmm. now. Whereas in From Russia with Love and Doctor No, it's they don't they don't have that. Yeah. We don't have a title sequence. Yeah, you do then. get Q in Doctor No, but but his gadgets, his like spy tools are mm-hmm. very simple and practical. Yeah. You've got that the the briefcase that if you don't open it right emits gas. Yeah. But and that's, that's like kind of a it. real fucking thing. Yeah, like, no, and totally. And in a way, like, I mean, I know this is sort of a contradictory thing for me to, to say about James Bond, but I kind that's why I like From Russia With Love, is yeah. that it's taking existing, like, real spy stuff that mm-hmm. Ian Fleming would have known about being in MI6. Right. And amplifying it, you know, to a sort of fantastic level, but still having some foundation in reality. Totally. This is where it becomes a true, like, superhero Yeah, exactly. This and, is where it feels pulpy and, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and you're right. And, like, the last one, like, the best part of From Russia With Love, like, the best thing that sort of endures uh, of that movie is... The like weird sort of like cat and mouse thing yes. between Connery and Robert Shaw, mm-hmm. um, at blonde Russian Robert Shaw. <laughs> which, for the record, like I, you know, Jamie's you're a big fan of Jaws, as yep. are you, Jeff. Yes, this is but the Jaws side of the table. I know. Here. So uh, for but yet this is the Quint side of the table, and that is the Richard Dreyfuss side <laughs> of the table. Yeah. It's hardly enough. No. Um, no, but so we were watching the movie, and uh, and I was like really excited for Jamie to see blonde Russian Quint in a James Bond movie. <laughs> And I said, "Oh, there's somebody in this movie you're gonna you're gonna recognize. You're gonna enjoy it. I'm not gonna tell you who it is." And she just didn't 
didn't see it. Did and not recognize him we got like at all. Probably like a half hour into the movie. He kept trying to give me clues. Like, just imagine him with darker hair. Just imagine him a little bit older. Just imagine him with a different accent. I was like, I don't know who this person yeah. is. It wasn't until I said, he imagine looks... him with a Gansett in his hand, that you were like, oh my god, it's Quint! <laughs> looks so completely yeah. different. Yeah, We also doesn't speak for most no, of that No, he movie. doesn't. But, that, I mean, that, but that's like a hard sort of spy genre thing, where it's like, oh, you've got the, the Russian and the mm. British counterparts, and they're sort of moving in circles around each other. And the honey pot? I yeah, mean, absolutely. Like, yeah. Honey trap. The honey trap, yeah. Well, you can call it a honey pot. It works. Yeah, but either way. Yeah, he falls into the honey pot. Um, but, uh, yeah, the this is the one where, it, I mean, literally, you have James Bond strapped to a table with the laser beam mm-hmm. slowly moving towards his nuts. I yes. mean, that's... <laughs> And it's iconic, and, and it endured. Exactly. Know? I mean, that's the thing that it be, it, there's so many things in this movie that go on to become yeah. so parodied and mm-hmm. copied and you know beat to death, basically. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, they're innovative. They're like there's things that are like, oh my god, it's so great, you know? Yeah. Like they leave, make you leave the theater buzzing. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's interesting that y'all are saying you know this is the birth of like you know the, the gadgets and everything because that was one of the scenes in which I disliked Bond the most because you've the got the scene with Q yes because you've got Q who's like just trying to show him how this stuff works you know and who's like taking a lot of pride in his work and he's like well I just need an hour of your time to show you like how this stuff goes and he just like rolls his eyes <laughs> and throws himself against the car like Oh, I have to sit here for an hour. He literally does throw himself against the car. Worst. (laughs) Like this is just why I was like, you are useless. And then he never gets better. He never does anything. He just like it only winds up in the vault because they put him there. He doesn't defuse the bomb. He doesn't do anything about the poison gas. He does nothing. Well, okay, so that's interesting um, because, uh, first of all, I love that bit. Like, one of the things I always remember so strongly about this movie is that that very last bit uh, in the vault where he gets the... prize open the bomb casing and it's just like a million wires and trip. spinning wheels and shit and he just <laughs> doesn't Goldberg machine. Yeah, yeah he has no idea what the fuck to do with it and like the fact that he can't he doesn't just have nuclear bomb like, disposal information. all the cores. Yeah exactly and then the other guy just leans over and presses a button like it's, yeah. a, it's a great it's a great it's a, it's a great sort of bait and switch because yeah. you think oh it needs to be red wire blue wire yeah exactly and it's just like nope, nope just yeah, turn just, it off just, just off switch it's over here um but you're right, like, in a way, this actually, and we were talking about, uh, before the movie, we were talking about uh, the X-Files, to a certain degree, like, the second half of this movie really does kind of feel like one of those, and there's a lot of them, those episodes of the X-Files, where Mulder and Scully don't really do anything, they, like, stumble into a mystery, and they, like, get a, a bunch of clues. Behind. Yeah, yeah, and, like, but whatever the conflict is, it just sort of, like, gets resolved by somebody else, and, like, and they're just sort of there to witness it and like mm. see it happen. And like, well, that was weird. And then they go back to DC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this, you're right. They like to a large degree that that kind of feels like the same thing here. Like, okay, so he, you know, he does the bit with uh, the, you know, the nice back and forth in the golf match, uh, and then uh, uh, he follows him through the mountain pass, whatever. But yeah, at the end of the day, he basically gets captured. And then just hangs out in a dungeon. He gets information. Yeah. But then the he... Most, the most actual spy-like thing that he actually does, yeah. which is, you know, go he, behind enemy lines and relay information back to his Except his he masters. doesn't even relay the information back, because he writes it on the piece of paper, and then it gets stuck in the crushed car. Oh, right. Yeah, so it doesn't they never it. actually pick it up. Yeah. So, he tried. No, he, he really tried. Attempt, he makes an attempt, and he fails. I uh, tried, therefore no one can criticize Yeah, exactly. So in the end, like, the only thing he does is he fucks pussy galore into trading tri- into trading sides. That's yeah. that's the only, like, active thing that he does to 
foil all of them. And I it's don't his... even think that's why he did that. <laughs> <laughs> he just got lucky in a variety of ways. Hey, he he appealed to her maternal instincts. Yeah, apparently. Whatever the fuck that means. That doesn't mean anything. Why no. did she do that? I guess I appealed to her maternal instincts. What does that mean? It's, I don't know. Are you telling me she's pregnant with your baby? Is it like <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer when she gets <laughs> pregnant in 24 hours? Um... Uh, I did uh, like the uh, before he uh, uh, when he has to break out of his cell the whole mm-hmm. shtick where he has to break out of the cell yes. and he's walking back and forth and like mm-hmm. waving at the guard uh-huh. and then he literally does the elevator gag where yes. he like drops himself and the guard the falls for yeah, it I know. <laughs> but then it also has the great payoff yes. later when they yeah. put him back in the thing and they don't even have the door closed they have the door open and they just have seven guys in the yeah. room with him with two of them like pointing guns from like three inches away like fine fuck it we'll just do this <laughs> no it's it's another sort of Chekhov's gun thing where it's setting up something that pays off later on and there's yeah. a sort of um like there's a wit to it or a, yeah you know, there's no a humor to it yeah least, absolutely you know? so i i appreciate that um uh i th- i forgot how much of this movie like i said i mean i knew that the i remember the finale being in uh in fort knox but uh i forgot just how much of this movie yeah, it takes place in America. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for a Bond movie, and certainly up till this point, I mean, this is, like, the most American Bond, which is also, like, you know, the weird sort of, I don't want to call it a coincidence, but, you know, the fact that this is also the movie with, like, the, now sort of the broadest, like, gadgets mm-hmm. and humor, like, all this stuff, like, oh, of course this is the movie that's, like, all in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, where that's an interesting point. You have, like, the American gangsters all, mm-hmm. like, hold up yeah, in a room. See? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't sign up to work with Chicago, see? And... <laughs> And, and not only that, and then you cut to Felix Leiter and his partner parked in a T-Bird outside a fucking Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> with a giant head of Colonel Sanders. Murka. That's right there. Murka! Uh, I mean, look, there have been multiple attempts to make an American James Bond or to make, uh-huh. like... And it has been successful. It is called Mission Impossible, <laughs> and it is far superior to these movies. Well, that's, so that's the interesting thing. And, look, we'll get into that, uh, you know, certainly in a, in a few weeks because uh, we wait. are... There's going to be, we get a new Mission Impossible this summer. Um, but, uh, you know, the, that's the interesting thing about when you look at the, the Mission Impossible movies is that, you know, the TV show, I mean, Jim Phelps is was... contemporaneous to these movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thing. I mean, if nothing else, this this uh, movie probably feels closer to, like, a Mission Impossible kind of thing where, mm-hmm. yeah, they got a bunch of gags. They got a bunch of uh, gadgets and, and mm-hmm. shit. And they're trying um, to break into somewhere that is impregnable. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's the villain who's doing it. Yeah, but it's I know. Still that that's kind a nice, of idea. nice reverse, yeah. Um, but, you know, the mo- the TV show, did, I mean, J- Jim Phelps was, like, the lead of the show, but he was, like, the guy who called all the shots or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was a show really more about, like, the team of spies, yeah. you know? Like, that's an ensemble and show. Bond is a lone wolf, which I wonder if is a, you know, I think that we can get high-minded about this. One of the reasons why it landed in America, yeah. why it did, because Bond is, a, like, a rugged individual, you Absolutely, know? yeah. And, and so I feel like that, you know, that does distinguish it from the Mission Impossible. Totally. You know, movies and TV shows. But you look at the Mission Impossible movies now, and it, yeah, it feels in a lot of ways like they're trying, they want sort of the American James Bond, which is mm-hmm. why it, the Mission Impossible movies have become the Tom Cruise show. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it felt like uh, after the first movie, because the first movie, which we just watched last week, um, First Mission Impossible. First Mission Impossible, yeah, um, has that nice sort of, uh, you know, subverting of expectations where Jim Phelps is in the movie, but he is, you know, Spoilers uh, revealed to be the, the villain. Spoilers for a twenty-year-old movie. movie. I Fuck know. you if you haven't I know, seen right? it. <laughs> uh, he's revealed to be the villain, um, yes. and 
you know they got to take him out at the end. So like that's a that's a that's a nice reverse. And it's a nice way that. to kind of maintain a sense of continuity. Yeah, exactly. And so then it feels oh, okay. So you know Cruz's character Ethan Hunt like sort of picks up the mantle. Now he's mm-hmm. in charge because the other guy you know sold everybody out. But it also like you could have walked out of that movie and expected like oh yeah we could get another Mission Impossible with like a whole new team of spies. And mm-hmm. you know it didn't feel necessarily beholden to be the Tom Cruise show. Now we're you know five movies in at this point. And now it is the Tom Cruise franchise. It, you know? it is, but he's still. I mean, like he's the marquee guy, and yeah. Ethan Hunt is the guy. But he is his team. That's part of what's so good about that movies and why those movies and why there's so much room for other people to be awesome because it's presented as a team. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like it, it isn't. It isn't. Um, the best ones, yes. That that's why they've been so good is because they have a good team and they all do have a specialty and they all do their own thing. But like. The first one, his team basically all gets killed at the beginning. He has to start a new team, uh, and, you know, one of the team members, two, half of his team are traitors. One of them has a very, uh, Claire has, like, very ill-defined skill set. Um, <laughs> and, and motives. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, really, it's just him and... Uh, Ving uh, Rhames, motherfucker. Ving Rhames, yeah, exactly. Ving Rhames is yeah. pretty cool. It's really just him and Ving Rhames. He's, he's worth at least three or four yeah. other people. Yeah. <laughs> in the second one, it is, again, just, like, him and Ving Rhames, they bring in another guy who, like... He's like an Australian guy, and he yeah. like does some, he has some comic relief. But like that's really it. He's like very yeah, forgettable. But then from three on, they're awesome. We're on James Bond three, and they still suck. Right, so no, the no. curve is far better. No, no, no. But my point is that like in the fourth one and the fifth one, uh, the third and the fourth one, they get back to that team acidic, but they keep swapping out the team members. So it's still mm. like it's just Tom Cruise and whatever actors we could convince to be in this movie and like the actual members of the team are like replaceable right, aside, aside from Simon cool, Pegg at this point but they're still cool and they still get to contribute is yeah. my point no 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 like, I he agree he still has people by his side who are helping him and who get to do so in a concrete way no I agree but at the same time like that th- you're totally right and that's the thing those are the movies like the best movies in that franchise are the ones where the team is important and they all have like characters and they get to do cool stuff but at the end of every every one of those movies ends with Tom Cruise fighting somebody for a MacGuffin. You know, like mm-hmm. Tom Cruise punching somebody to get a thing and press a button, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I mean, it's totally still, like, you know, the Tom Cruise adventure hour at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Um, and there was a lot of talk after the last one that they were going to try and transition away, and that's why they were bringing Renner in uh, as a potential sort of replacement for uh, for Tom Cruise if they were going to keep making these movies and not want to pay Tom Cruise's salary for them, basically. Um, and that didn't really happen. They're both in the next one, so uh, I, I don't think that's... I, I feel like we're more likely to end up with, you know, two more Mission Impossible movies and then just not have Mission Impossible for, like, a decade and then it'll get a reboot with, a, with new people, you know? Um, I hope not. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I don't think we'll get a new Ethan Hunt. It'll just be like Mission Impossible. It'll be like a soft reboot. It'll just be like, hey, here's, an, here's another team in the IMF and more Mission Impossible adventures, you know? Because uh, that's the other thing when you think about it. This this franchise, that franchise is really set up very well for it because um, after the second one, well, no, I guess the second and third one both had numbers on them because Mission Impossible was MI2 and MI3. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But four and five don't have numbers. They just have titles. 
So you yeah. can just keep making Mission Impossible movies. You don't have to number them anymore. It's not important. Like right the now. James Bond movies. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know? It's not James Bond 23. Right. Know? And like, that's the other thing is that, you know, when you look at uh, the first two movies, they feel a little more like yeah, sort of of a piece. They feel a little more mm-hmm. like uh, in continuity. Like, you know, Bond, uh, the, the girl he picks up playing Baccarat at the very beginning mm-hmm. of Dr. No, he's also like he's having a picnic with at the beginning of Russia with, with Love. Love. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So they feel a little closer. Nemo found a squeaky he toy. He just found it under the... I've been wondering where that went. Hey. Hey, buddy. That squeaker that squeaker is not going to work for us. That's going to make this podcast really weird. <laughs> there isn't a super tight continuity to Goldfinger. No. It feels like a pretty... You know, it feels like it's just doing its own thing. And this... You're right. Like, this, again, it becomes the template for all the we rest of the movies. just reset the button at the end of every yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is, I think, also a big part of why... It becomes easy when Connery leaves mm-hmm. to just replace him yeah. because, you know, you, there is no like tight, you know, the story doesn't continue. For, you get mm-hmm. basically uh, uh, Spectre and like these sort mm-hmm. of villain organizations that talk about like all their stuff. That, but yeah, that, I mean, that carries over. But even, you know, uh, what's his face gets played by a bunch of different actors too. Yeah, Blofeld. Blofeld. Yeah, yeah Blofeld yeah. gets gets played by a few different actors yeah. I'm, I really want to watch the one where he's played by Telly Savalas um, oh, yeah. I'm really excited about that yeah um, but uh, have you heard uh, Matt Myra's theory on, the, on on James Bond and why he you know changes uh, faces is, is he one of the codename guys uh, I hope he's not one of the codename guys uh, no he the, the Matt Myra you know from the Dirtist yeah no I know and he's, he's got the James Bonding podcast too yes he does yeah no it's uh, his theory is that James Bond is a time lord <laughs> And that at some that. point in the 60s, the British Secret Service teamed up with, you know, Doctor Who, and, and they, they, they somehow got James Bond to, to be a, a Time Lord on Earth, and, and that is why we get James Bond for 50 years. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, with constantly changing faces. Changing faces. That makes and, sense to I me. Mean, the know? Aston Martin could be a TARDIS, yeah, uh, to a certain degree. Be. This is also the first movie Without where we get an Aston Martin. Circuit. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, so, what would he uh, be, that agent? Yeah, I, he could be. He mm-hmm. could be. He could be the agent. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, anyway, my point in bringing this up is that it's it's one of the reasons that this series has such longevity is that yeah. there's nothing tying it to anything else, which is so when you think about it, compared compared to every other series right now, right. where there is such an emphasis on continuity, not only continuity yeah. but like intertextuality, where we got a TV show that's like you know like agents of shield or whatever and yep. then we got the movies you know mm-hmm. and so like yeah, it's James all cross-platform yeah. could give a shit about that and i kind of love that you know i mean that's that's me that's yeah. not everyone but no i agree I, um, I kind of love the just complete disregard for any kind of continuity and not trying to maintain continuity and just like you know what we're gonna start the clock back at the beginning of every yeah. movie and and that's what you know that's the template and that's i know and i'll be curious to see what happens uh with daniel craig because if anything his movies have been very continuity heavy yeah um and it's for seems, james bond right for, for james bond on not, the relative scale of james bond i mean mm-hmm. you, you know there you could they certainly set up uh, Casino Royale as a sort of like soft reboot type mm-hmm. movie where he gets his double O rating at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. basically um, and it doesn't necessarily mean like I mean you know you, it's just as fresh as any other movie like technically mm-hmm. every movie is a reboot basically sort of, um, yeah, yeah. but the, the, what makes it different here yeah. is that you know what's happened in Quantum of Solace and in Skyfall like th- has all been you know 
the, these things have right. all been connected. And from what I understand, uh, the new one, Spectre, is like literally going to bring Pick them right all up. together. Yeah, hmm. like okay. um, I, I think you know, Quantum is re- from Quantum Solace. Like that Quantum organization is revealed to be a part of Spectre, or they've been absorbed by Spectre or something. Hmm. So like it, it, it feels like they're really trying to tie the previous three movies all together in a very sort of strict continuity kind of way which is very alien to the bond movies yeah so it makes me wonder like what happens when, in, craig, when leaves. craig leaves exactly yeah um you know do they literally feel like they need to reboot again that or do they just keep the, going the mantra for so many things is yeah, yeah I, let's batman begins this shit yeah, you know I, guess. I, I'm, I hope again it's one i guess that's why i like it is because if you are not a, a slave to continuity then you can you don't have to worry about doing that yeah you know? it, exactly you can have a you can have a franchise but you don't always have to to worry about you know trying to make it line up with everything you did beforehand exactly you can be kind of and that's you know i think it's interesting because uh, i'll be curious to see what happens with the x-men movies mm-hmm. from this point on because you know they they've been sort of uh fuzzy with their continuity <laughs> um you know First class didn't really seem to jive with what had happened in the previous singer movies, but Days of Future Past like explicitly tied those two versions together, mm-hmm. um, and even gave us sort of like a future part where know, here we see some of these characters are alive at this year and they're of a certain age or whatever. Um, but we're you know Apocalypse is going to reboot some of those characters and introduce some of those characters. But it also seems like it's not being super beholden to the overall continuity. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, X3 featured uh, Ben Foster playing Angel, Warren Worthington. That character is going to show up in Apocalypse, which is set in the 80s. So, mm-hmm. if Ben Foster, who's, like, in his 20s in X3, uh, is Warren Worthington, and if Warren Worthington is also, like, he's played by, like, a guy in his young 20s, he's like if he's also playing warren worthington in the 80s then that doesn't make any goddamn sense yeah you know that he could just be a different guy with angel wings maybe Mm -hmm. they're gonna do that route but you know it seems like they're sort of willing to just sort of say there's guys and tears and there are other movies and who gives a shit like (laughs) they don't feel like really that's and james bond is the ultimate who gives a shit franchise exactly and i kind of love it for that i do too i do too uh well that's that's most of what I have to talk about, aside from um, that unbelievable montage where they uh, gas all of the <laughs> soldiers at Fort Knox with an invisible nerve gas, meaning mm. a plane flies overhead and just dozens of extras fall to the ground, mm-hmm. like very limply and very unbelievably. Speaking of choreography. I know, right? <laughs> Um, but we find out. But we've, it, it's a nice reverse later where you go like, oh, no, they were, they were all faking. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they just had to fall down for the people in the planes. That's mm-hmm. all that mattered. So. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, it is hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like I said, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I have for Goldfinger. Uh, anybody, any, any other topics that feel worth discussion? I don't know. The only thing I thought of was, you know, Jamie was talking about that scene where, you know, uh, James Bond is very dismissive of Q, and that's yet another motif that carries through to sure. the other films, that they always have this very antagonistic mm-hmm. uh, relationship. And I was, again, trying to, you know, I guess it's my, you know, the inner historian or inner critic or whatever, I'm trying to, like, think of, you know, why is it this movie, you know? And I think it's a lot of the things we talked about with the, the gadgets yep. and... You know, I mean, this is also the beginning of, yeah. like, swinging London. Yep, you know, totally. So sort of proto-sexual revolution. And I think, but to get back to that scene with Q, 
Bond, despite being a member of, you know, an authority organization, is anti-authoritarian. Totally, yeah. So I think, you know, and that carries through through other, you know, other movies in the series. And, you know, it, he's, he's not like, you know a flag burning hippie or anything like <laughs> and he even has that thing about oh the only way to listen to the beatles is with uh earmuffs on, yeah exactly you know, yeah sort of positions him completely away know, opposite from the, culture, from, yeah. from the sort of culture at the time but i think that anti-authoritarian streak becomes more pronounced and that's maybe another reason why it's this movie that lands and that sort of cements some aspects of his character that kind of you know carry on into oh, totally. the future movies I actually, and I also really love the reversal in uh, in Skyfall, mm-hmm. where because one of the other great things I love about the Bond movies is that really the only continuity through the entire franchise for you know a good twenty five years or so was uh, Llewellyn Desmond playing mm-hmm. Q. Yeah. The same guy plays Q from You're Russia right. with Love all the way into the third Brosnan movie. I think. Yeah. I, he's definitely dead in. Uh, and die another Des- day. Desmond had died before Die Another Day, mm-hmm. but I think he he gets replaced by John Cleese, who's a great replacement Which for him. I know it's a little sad that Brosnan movies went so off the track because we could have gotten a few movies with with John, John Cleese's R. Yeah, exactly. Um, and but so they had I think they had one movie together. Yeah, and then he introduced then he him died. as the replacement. Yeah. So he had, it's not that he died and then they needed someone new. Right, it was right. Like he was like, I'm going to bow out and I'm we're going to do this. Yeah, right. he knew and he I, was done. Yeah, and then that's when they brought him. To the um, so I love him being Q for like all of those movies. It mm-hmm. becomes like the only bit of continuity that right. I really love. Well, and, um, I, I mean, not through the um, the Brosnan movies, but for almost all of them, isn't it's it's Bernard Lee who plays M? Yeah, he so he sticks around as M for a very long time. For a very long. So he's yeah. another bit of continuity yeah. that kind of you know links uh, the other bonds. Right. Right, but Bond changes, Felix Leiter changes like a dozen times. It's yeah. ridiculous. Uh, 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 fucking um, Penny. Um, oh, Money Penny. Money Penny. Money Penny. Penny changes, she yeah. changes like oh, yeah. all the time. Almost every other movie. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, what, what I love in the new one is the in Skyfall is that reversal because by the time we got to the end, by the time we get to Brosnan, you've mm-hmm. got like young headstrong james bond and mm-hmm. q was like this sort of like cranky old british guy who's mm-hmm. like got crazy inventions and mm-hmm. shit you know um so i like the flip in skyfall where bond is kind of older mm-hmm. and, and literally he's like he's older and he's lost a step and he's like got to get recertified and shit mm-hmm. and now q is like this young like he's not even like a young hacker he's just sort of like a young whippersnapper who's like yeah what do i you know I'm which like allows skyfall to set up its admittedly heavy-handed theme of like sort of you know modern digital espionage versus the old school techniques yeah. which you know is is very heavy-handed but it's you know it's, it's not the worst thing in yeah. the world yeah. uh well let's do some heart of the ghostbusters and wrap this puppy up uh i jamie seemed loath to pick anyone as her heart <laughs> of the ghostbusters in this movie but did you did you come up with any any inspiration did you come up with a thought q q q that's a that's a fine choice mm. like i said he's my Very favorite character in the franchise he's hard working yeah he does cool things and he gets more entertaining as the purpose. movies go on he's funnier yeah than i go think too. and this is again this is the movie where they recognize the rapport between connery and yeah and, and davis and so they um not Davis, Desmond. Desmond, sorry. Um, and uh, and so they they start to those scenes start to be a little longer, yep. and they kind of play up some of the like verbal slapstick. Between oh yeah, them, so. I mean, and even even here in this one, because in the last one, uh, you know, 
Q just like walks into M's office and like mm-hmm. hands him a briefcase and you do this and you do that mm-hmm. and like that's it. Um, and he's so young. Oh my god, he's so he young is, in that yeah, movie. It's crazy. Um, and yeah, by the end, you know, yeah, they spend there's a whole there's always like a five minute sequence where they mm-hmm. wander through the Q branch shop and there's mm-hmm. just people testing out weird shit in the background somewhere. Mm-hmm. They go, yeah, 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 I think we haven't figured know, that out of, yet. Some you know? of the background gags in those scenes become like the best parts of those. Oh movies. yeah, totally. Um, so and then and then even that bit gets spoofed. Like one of my like favorite bad eighties movies, uh, Tango and Cash, mm-hmm. uh, Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell, uh, and they have like Kurt Russell has like a Q guy, his buddy Owen, who like works in the LAPD like armory like weapon shop whatever, and he's like coming up with crazy inventions, and one of them mm-hmm. is like a it's basically like a plaster like almost like a paper mache like dog like a Doberman <laughs> that has a gun barrel in its mouth and. And he like tries to use it and then uh it doesn't work and then like a few minutes later like the gun goes off and the dog's head explodes basically <laughs> um like that's that's the kind of stuff we end up getting mm-hmm. uh jeff you're you're heart of the ghostbusters i don't know i mean i feel like jamie will never speak to me even if i say sean connery <laughs> <laughs> it's um, okay um it also feels cheap to pick the main character. Yeah, it, it, it's always kind of felt that way, I guess. <laughs> Honestly, maybe Money Penny, because she seems so nice. <laughs> you know, like she'd gone to drink with you and she'd listen to what you had to say. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I kind of, I might have to go with Money Penny. That, that's totally fair. You, you know, know, Money Penny's Money Penny's great. She's, I would not, she's adorable. I would not want to go with with Goldie Goldfinger. Gold, as, Goldie as Goldfinger, yeah, <laughs> Orit Goldfinger, whose yeah. name roughly translates to Gold Goldfinger. Yes, yeah. as Jamie realized the other day, she sent me this amazing email the other day uh, saying that all of a sudden realized that Billy D. Williams, first of all, his middle name is December. Is that right? Yes. His I middle name, know this. His middle name is, is December. D is for December. That's D incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, she's like, not only that, but I just realized his name is Billy D. Williams. His name is William Williams. How oh, I never realized yes. that. Oh, that's I, Billy yeah. Williams makes his name William, William Williams. Williams. <laughs> wow, I just never unbelievable. But I never put together Oric, you know, Oric Goldfinger, Goldfinger yeah. until today, you know, when I had some proficiency <laughs> in scientific knowledge that I lacked <laughs> yeah. in a, you know, elementary school. Yeah, apparently. Setting, so um, well look know. for me it's the golf caddy. It's gotta yeah. be the golf caddy. That guy is fucking hilarious. You, you totally want to sit and drink with that guy after you play eighteen mm-hmm. holes. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm down with that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, that wraps up Goldfinger for us. Uh, uh, thank you guys for for coming along on this cinematic journey. A uh, little little drop into the Bond franchise. Maybe we'll do another one later on down the road. Um, like I said we I I think this may have been the one that sort of broke Jamie to a certain degree, and that like yep. we're not gonna. I don't think we're gonna watch every one because I don't think she'll make it very far if we try to do that. So we might start skipping around. So this is sort of the moment where you can start skipping around. Well, and as we were saying, this is the moment where it becomes every other Bond movie. It's yeah. just the change, the setting changes, yeah. basically, and exactly. the villain changes. Yeah. But it's pretty much every other Bond movie is this movie. Yeah. So we'll 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 delve into a couple. I want to at least try and hit. I, we might skip. Uh, on her Majesty's Secret Service, but otherwise, I think we—I think she needs to at least get some of every bond. Yeah, um, no, agreed, so. agreed. And there's there's some definitely some good Roger Moore. Yeah, oh yeah, watch, totally. I will watch every George Lazenby. There's, <laughs> that's, there's only one of them. Yeah. 
That's the joke. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. I know how jokes work. Uh, but I think some of the Connery stuff, uh, some of the Roger Moore stuff might appeal to you in that same way that you They're like. starting to understand how campy the whole premise yeah. is by that point. Exactly. I like Kingsman. Can I just That's watch Kingsman say. and Mission Impossible and nothing else? The Kingsman really draws more from Roger Moore than it does yeah. from Pierce Brosnan in a, in a big, big way. Um, and like, Especially by the end of Roger Moore, like... No. It's so silly. The last like, one is easily my favorite, I think, of the Roger Moore's uh, View to a Kill, in which the villain is a young Christopher Walken, and Roger Moore is approximately 90 years old. <laughs> uh, it is unbelievable. Roger Moore is kind of the Tom Baker of the franchise, because he's around for so long. He is. He's there forever. Yeah. It's crazy. But... I mean, he gets shit on, you know, kind of, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's always Connery or, or Craig, you know, yeah. and I, you know, my dad, that was his bond when he was I think growing up. I think Roger Moore is probably my dad's bond, too. If he yeah. had to pick one, I think he'd probably pick Roger Moore. And and I think there are, you know, there are some underrated aspects to those. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, well, uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week. Um uh, well, Ex Machina. I think we're gonna we're gonna go for Ex Machina next week. We can week. do that if you want, yeah. or, or we can wait for Bart. I'm you know I'm down. Yeah, we'll 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 have to see see what strikes us. But I think we're gonna shoot for Ex Machina because it'll be here this week. Um, uh, and then uh, I think we're Bar- uh, Jeff and I are definitely uh, gonna talk about some Justified next week. Yeah. Uh, because we love Justified on FX. Uh, it's one of my our, our favorite shows on TV. Uh, and this coming Tuesday is the series finale, so um, I think we can do a little little roundup, take stock mm-hmm. of the whole show, yeah, um, sort of see see where it ends up. So I'm I'm very intrigued. I have no I have no idea where it's going. I don't either. I have which no is, idea what's going to happen. Quite a feat. Yeah, you know that they've yeah. managed to to conceal and and it doesn't feel telegraphed in any way where no. it's going. I mean, we know it'll end with you'll never get out of Harlan Wide, but aside from that, how yeah. it all plays out, I think is going to be yeah, uh, just kind of a mystery. No idea, man. Um, so we'll see how that all goes. Uh, Jamie, you're not on the, the Twitters. Uh, uh, no, you're not. Uh, but one Jeff- day you're going to say that and she's going to be like, I started tweeting. <laughs> I didn't tell you. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff, you are at Ari Grote. Ari right? Grote, A-R-I-E-G-R-O-T-E. Fantastic. Uh, and you can find me at mdaily01. Uh, and of course, uh, the blog is dailyscreening.com. Uh, and then you can subscribe to the podcast here uh, on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Uh, please subscribe. We're you know we're we're getting back into the swing of this. We should be doing it more or less every week uh, through the summer. Uh, so you want to listen to all the fun things we have to say about this summer's brouhaha's and whatnots and what fors. We had fun talking. I hope you had fun listening. Have a lovely evening and a fantastical tomorrow. Shocking. Shocking.